0: This morning, as summer turns to autumn, we kick off another installment of the mini-series that we call Grace Stories. Grace Stories are the label that we give to these real-life, unairbrushed, authentic snapshots from the lives of people who are sitting right next to you in your row. We kick off the season um, with Grace Stories, and we start the new year in January with three Grace Stories, at least we try to every year. Because these are rich examples of the gospel culture that we pray for, that God would work in us, and that we try to cultivate here at Grace Redeemer Church. What do I mean by that? A gospel, story start, a gospel culture starts with a, an honest assessment of reality. We are weak, often foolish, and sinful human beings. And the gospel culture that's healthy is to just admit it as it is. But the gospel culture doesn't leave us wallowing in self-condemnation or um, without any answers. We then look to Jesus, who in response to our weakness, folly, and sinfulness is the strong one and the wise one and the righteous one. These grace stories show real life as broken but being healed followers of Christ. And if, if you're new to GRC, this is the reason why we kick off our season, One of the things we want you to know about us is that we long to be a community where you can wrestle with things of faith, where you can perhaps begin to address the brokenness of your life and through faith in Jesus, grow in understanding God's promises for you and grow in understanding a lifestyle of repentance to embrace that grace. This month, three sets of GRC members are ready to share their story. Um, Two of them have spent their Christian lives largely in the African-American church, one of them in parallel in the Korean church, and a third far away from church most of his adult life until Jesus grabbed a hold of him sometime in his 40s. They're very different stories, but I trust, like all of these stories, Each of them is going to have some aspect that you will find very similar to a chapter in your own grace story. David and Rochelle Thompson this morning are ready to share their story. In uh, their testimony, you'll hear about God's grace poured out in the midst of suffering, and you will see in their faces and hear in their voices that even still, they know that God is good all the time. Amen. Amen.
1: Good morning. morning. Oh, we can do a little bit better than that. Good Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Rochelle, and my husband is David. And we're truly glad to dwell in the house of the Lord one more time. It is amazing how God works, how he speaks to us, and how he is in the details of our lives. He truly is the architect and creator over all things. About two and a half months ago, David and I were in a horrible car accident. It happened on a Sunday afternoon. That Sunday was a normal Sunday for us. And like normal, David got home about 5 a.m. from a red eye. He took a nap. We got up, got dressed, and went to church. Once church service was over, We went home, like normal. David took another nap for about an hour or so. Then we got ready for a belated Father's Day dinner at the Chart House. It was a beautiful Sunday, clear blue sky, a sunny afternoon. This was my second attempt to treat David to a Father's Day dinner. The first was on Father's Day, but that didn't happen because he got stuck in Costa Rica. Not a bad Father's Day gift. Many of you know that David travels a lot for work, and lately he had been working a lot of red eyes. So, if you see him nodding off like a heron addict during church service, that's why. A whole lot of red eyes. So, please pray for my husband. Getting back to the story, I wanted the day to be special, so I ordered a lift car to pick us up so David wouldn't have to drive. I knew he was exhausted from work and had had very little sleep. Lyft was on time for our 315 reservation. Now, I know some of you are probably thinking, I thought they were going to dinner. Well, when you get to be in our club, you start to do things while it's still daylight. (laughs) We got in the car, buckled up, and off we were, finally to the chart house for some Chilean bass. David's favorite fish. As the lift driver proceeded down our street and came to the first intersection with the green light, which we had gone through, suddenly, out of nowhere, a speeding police car hit the tail end of the lift car on the passenger's right side. And the lift car spun around and around and around. And all I could do was call on the name of Jesus. I kept saying, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but there is name in the power of Jesus. I asked Jesus, is this the day that you're going to take us? I kept asking him, is this it? Is this it? Because I thought we were going to die. The accident scene was very scary. Ambulances and paramedics were everywhere. The police car was totaled. The lift car was badly damaged, and people began to gather to see what was going on. And you know when people start to gather coming out of their apartment, it must be pretty bad. We were rushed to Hackensack Hospital Trauma Unit. I had no idea where they had taken David, and he didn't know where I was. And I kept asking them, where was my husband? As you can imagine it was scary not knowing where he was and what was going on with him. We didn't know what was happening to one another. After hours of waiting, x-rays, MRIs, CT scans, tests and etc., it was determined that I had four broken ribs, my left shoulder blade was broken, my right shoulder was badly injured, and not to mention my blood pressure was 240 over something. They finally told me that David was not too far from me. I learned that he had major neck injuries, which resulted in acute neck and head pain. Even though we couldn't make sense of all that was happening to us at the time, we knew that Jesus was with us and that we could call on him. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He told us in his word that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And so we did just that. We called on him. After many hours had passed, David was discharged that night of the accident. And I was let go a few days later. Now the trial began. As we quickly realized that we literally couldn't do anything on our own and that we needed Jesus' help to get us through this. During this time, God showed me my sin of pride. Proud of my independence of being able to do this and to do that. He showed me that I couldn't even do the little things without his help, his intervention. I couldn't even shower and wash my hair or take a bath on my own. I couldn't put on my clothes. I couldn't even sleep lying on my back or roll over on either side. I couldn't even reach up to turn out the lights. I was just sitting there in pain with my arms propped. Then there would be spurts of crying. I would just break out crying. I'm sure I started to feel a little sorry for myself, but it didn't last too long because I would think of Jesus' kindness toward us on that beautiful day in June. It could have been a double funeral, but God showed us that he is full of compassion and mercy instead. During our convalescing, I wasn't much help to David. God used him to help me. Even with all the pain he was experiencing, my husband was so caring and patient with me. I know that it was because of Jesus that David, David was able to help me to do the things that I couldn't do for myself. I know for sure that Jesus used David to show me firsthand his loving kindness that endures forever. God, in his infinite wisdom, stopped us dead in our tracks from the daily grind of living life in the routine, in the normal. He showed us, he slowed us down and got our attention to who and what's most important in our life, and that's God. I thank God that he knows everything and that he knows all about us. The Bible says that he even knows All the hairs on our head. He also knew that we needed rest from all the anxieties that life throws our way. He knew that we needed to renew our commitment to him. He knew that we needed to trust in him and not our own understanding. And since that day, I can stand here and testify that we've been more forgiving of each other. We've been able to truly commune with God together worship him together, cry out to him together, and thank him together for what he has done for us. God in his love reminded us that not only do we need to depend on him daily for all of our needs, we also need our church family, our growth group, our sisters and brothers in Christ to help us along the way, especially for such a time as this.
2: The rest of the great story. Isaiah 45 and 7 says, The one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord... Who does all these? You see, I have no doubt that divine intervention took place that day. And God's economy of grace and mercy overwhelmingly took over our lives. God created a very calamitous time within a matter of seconds to let us, and especially me, see him for myself. You see, the car we were riding in had basically passed through the intersection was on the other side of Central Avenue. And out the corner of my right eye, my peripheral vision, I saw the lights of the emergency police vehicle. But it caused no worry or concern in my mind because we were headed on up Prospect. And then, almost like the action of a magnet being drawn to something metallic, we were spinning out of control. It's almost like God said, no, not yet and calamity struck. A long time ago, I asked the Lord to let me see him for myself. And on June 24th, he did just that. I saw the power of God control that situation in such a way that I knew it was him. The angle we were hit and the speed of the car that hit us Spun us around and damaged our bodies while we were sitting in the back seat of that car. But it demolished the car that hit us. I knew we had been in the intersection, if we had been in that intersection any longer, we wouldn't be standing here right now giving you our grace story. After I realized my glasses had been knocked off my face and into the front seat where our driver was sitting, God's divine intervention took effect. He let me know and let us know he was there instantly. I heard a lady say, I got pictures. Instantly, the EMTs were gingerly taking my wife out of the car and helping me out of the car on my side. God made sure Hackensack Hospital was right down the street, and we were there in minutes. After I was able to think clearly, laying on the gurney in the the ER, and able to get my phone and make calls, God began to show up and show out through his body, the Church of uh, Grace Redeemer. Through his community, the church, He has done more than we could ever have imagined or expected. My wife and I were so busy living our human lives and going through the motions, we forgot how to truly live the life God intends for us. But God put a stop to that in seconds on that fateful day. God, through his body at Grace Redeemer, has shown us how real he truly is in our lives. We've had no want for anything while recovering from this. He also gave me a mindset to begin reading through the whole Bible, starting at the book of Genesis. And the day I started, I realized over again that God is in our lives every second of our lives. In this calamity of grace story Rochelle and I are in it's very clear that God is in control and we are not. On day one we were placed in an utter position of dependence on and in him. You see in a no fault state like New Jersey we found out that Though we weren't driving our vehicles, our insurance company has to pay the medical bills. But recently we were informed, while we were in a ride-sharing position, they don't pay. Calamity of grace. Since drivers, our driver, was not at fault, his insurance company is not paying the medical bills. Calamity of grace. But up until this point, someone's been paying the bills because we've still been able to go and see the doctors we need to see. On that first day of this calamity of grace, God showed up in the persons, Spirit of God showed up in the persons of Steve, Ken, Rich and Francis Chin, Betsy and Stan. And then the very next day, he showed up in the persons of Faith and Wendy from our growth groups, Pastor Peter and Pastor Steve. And I was reminded in Exodus 33, it tells us God and Moses talked face to face. Moses actually had the luxury of having God there in some physical form to ask for help. But in our calamity of grace in this 21st century, he's showing up in the physical in our family and our church family. For those of you who may be here today wondering if God is truly alive and here on planet Earth, just take a look around you. He's in the body of his church, the Ecclesia, the called-out ones. My wife and I have gained some extra weight from all the dinners that have been provided. Amen. And really, just a few weeks ago, because of all that food we've had, we finally started cooking again, or my wife has. If anyone here is ever in need of some home-cooked meals, Ellen McGregor, Simone and Tony, Gloria, Mike and Lynn, amen. John C., just to name a few, can cook, (laughs) amen. In this body of Christ at Grace Redeemer, you will never go hungry. Grace Redeemer, our calamity of grace is far from over. But our God, through Christ, is right here every second of our lives. And we have comfort and grace in him. We're not worried about anything. And I mean that, Grace Redeemer. Do you know him for yourself?
0: Let's pray. Lord, again, what a phrase. It means nothing, calamity of grace, apart from your word, apart from your perfect and consistent and faithful character that intervenes in our broken lives, in this broken world, with life giving, death raising yes. grace the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's at work. We have seen it and heard it for ourselves through this brother and sister. Let it flow. Let it impact other lives. Let it renew the broken and the hurting that you would receive praise and adoration. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. I know uh, the Tenth Commandment prohibits this, but I have always coveted that voice It's the preacher in me that wishes I could sound like David Thompson. But God made me the way I am, and it's going to have to be good enough for you. Um, The first time I visited the Thompsons in their apartment, a few weeks after the accident, they had a little bit more hardware on them. David slid his neck brace. Rochelle had a sling. Her ribs were wrapped. Each was walking gingerly. It took him a while to answer the door. And it was obvious that um, weeks later, life was not even close to back to normal. Rochelle that day had a GRC member driving her to a doctor's appointment, yet another one, waiting for her, bringing her home. They had meals, as David described. Uh, They were still unable to sleep well at night. You heard this. But our conversation and our prayer sounded nothing like a pity party. It was a striking hour or two that we spent together sharing life, praising the King, despite everything that had happened. What I heard and what I saw from the Thompsons is what you heard and saw this morning, thankfulness for the goodness of God in Christ. And I saw a more focused faith in the heart of God the Father, even in the midst of suffering. That combination might strike you in a certain way, thinking, boy, we need more of that in the church. Or your reaction to that combination might be, I can't even imagine responding in a a way approximating the way David and Rochelle responded. Or you might be thinking to yourself, come on, that's fake. You get into a car accident. You have lasting injuries. You have mounting bills, and you you smile and you thank Jesus. But aren't you underneath bitter that God, if He's good, would allow this kind of thing to happen? But here's the thing: the early church to to people to whom the Apostle Peter was writing in his first letter, for example, would have considered that kind of gracious response not only understandable, but natural and expected. Listen to the Apostle Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, as he refers to the persecution the church was undergoing at the time. Dear friends, verse 12, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. And then a little while later in his fifth chapter, after his warning about the devil, now he's talking about spiritual suffering rather than social, relational, political suffering. This is what he says, And the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Note the key words in that verse highlighted for you. God, grace, glory, suffering. Let's play Sesame Street. Which of these does not belong? Because if you and I added up the life equation, the way we would design things, we would come up with anything but God plus grace plus glory equals suffering. We'd, come up with a, we'd paint a picture that maybe looks more like this. Glory means blessing and contentment, lack of frustration, a body with no aches and pains the day after working in the yard for several hours, no need for the chiropractor appointment or salon pods, heat pads, and four muscle groups, no gray hairs to pluck. Relationally, God plus grace plus glory would look like rich... Mutual friendships that are never lacking, never leaving you in the lurch. Romantic and sexy marriages, children that are just perfect in every way. We'd have work-from-home jobs that pay us more than we deserve and give us all the time in the world to travel the globe. That would be our life equation. God plus grace plus glory equals comfort and prosperity the way I define it. But the biblical picture is so very different, not because God is a scrooge, not because He's a killjoy, but because His perfect heart as a Father longs for greater, richer treasure for His children to enjoy. We want happy meals. God wants us to experience this amazing culinary venture. We want instant sexual gratification. God wants you to taste the complete giving of yourself, body, mind, and soul to another that you might begin to taste the intimacy and acceptance and belonging that is all about being with Him for eternity. You want earthly treasure that will break, that will rust, that somebody will steal, God wants you to possess that which can never be lost, that which will only grow in its value and splendor. And the road there to glory, real glory, lasting glory, the road there is trailblazed by Jesus, and it involves suffering. Churchgoers know this at some level. We we forget this, but whenever we see a cross... In a sanctuary or on the front of a church building, a cross isn't this nice little symbol. A cross is a reminder of torturous, dehumanizing execution. Churchgoers should know this, and that, that the mere presence of a cross in a place of worship means that something good, something worthwhile, something life-giving comes out of the suffering and death of God the Son, Jesus the Messiah. But still, when we face trials and pain and adversity, we have this knee-jerk reaction as if there are no crosses around, as if there are only sort of rainbows and, you know, little care bears or whatever kind of symbol would would capture this idyllic land that we daydream about. Peter says… Don't be surprised as though something strange were happening to you. But how do we react? Uh, The the picture in my mind is of the grandchild who is doted on and spoiled by grandparents who who have candy in their pockets, who never say no. But then one day the child runs up against a grandparent who draws the line and and they're like shocked. (laughs) What's going on? You're supposed to bless me. You're supposed to make my life easy. You're supposed to sort of pave the way for everything uh, to come to my heart's content. Why are you surprised, follower of Christ, the Apostle Peter says, when suffering comes as though something strange were happening to you? 1 Peter 4, by the way, should be a dagger in the heart of a prosperity gospel, a health and wealth gospel. There is no such thing if you know Jesus and desire to follow Him. How should we respond? By God's grace, He's revealing His glory by working in the Thompsons these kinds of responses. They aren't the end-all, be-all, but these are things I've gleaned from their story that I think are transferable to us. How do we respond? It starts with Christ-centric thinking. For Rochelle, if you know her a little bit, for, for her to cry out in the name of Jesus is not a strange thing, um, and, and it's understandable in the moment, and some people might put that into the category of sort of the, the foxhole conversion. You know, you're about to die, and and you think maybe it's worth calling on Jesus because He might be able to do something about this. But again, if you, if you know Rochelle, you know that, that that's not the case, that she suddenly is thinking of something she doesn't normally think of. For her, it was the fruit of tenacious faith in her Savior, who Himself suffered incredibly. That leads us to the second kind of response, faith in spite of, not faith because of, the brokenness of our life circumstances. Here's what I mean by that. If your faith rises because things are working out well, and fades away because pain and adversity have come. If your trust in the goodness of God is defined by how well He's doing according to your own standards, you need to look much more closely at the life and ministry of Jesus because He was the most faith-filled one that ever walked the face of this earth, trusting in His Father. And what did His life look like? some of you would say, you know, what makes it hard for me to draw close to God or believe in God in the first place is I look around and I see all the oppression upon helpless people. I see injustice. I, think, I see things that should not be the way they are. I, I see relationships that are so broken, people closest to me betraying me. If God were good, how could He let that happen? But here's the thing. Those factors that are painful in life didn't just happen to Jesus in his life and ministry they were uh, his life and ministry were characterized by these things he was oppressed and afflicted the prophet isaiah told us 800 years before jesus was uh, born as a little child and there is no greater injustice than the god man jesus the messiah Being executed because He wasn't just innocent. He was sinless. He was perfect. Does injustice bother you? Look at the cross. And yet Jesus didn't waver in His faith. He was betrayed by His closest followers. He was abandoned in the moment of His trial. He was practically abandoned as He hung on the cross to breathe His last breath, and yet He trusted in the Father unwaveringly. Rochelle admitted moments of self-pity in her recovery, but didn't let that fester. She chose to focus instead on the Lord's kindness because, she said, "The, the accident could have been so much worse. God cared for me. David said he'd been asking God for years, let me see you for myself. That's a good prayer. God is going to answer that prayer almost always, though, in a very different way than you have in mind. He revealed Himself to David through His protecting grace that day, and then He revealed Himself to David and Rochelle through His body, the church. God said, you want to see me, David? I'm so glad. That's what I want for myself and for you, for your best. So the best way to help you focus on me, God is saying, is to strip away everything that is irrelevant, everything that distracts, everything that is cluttered in your life, And suffering does the best job of refining what doesn't need to be there. That will lead us to a third response in a moment. But then, in the midst of suffering, David, I will show you my care, my love, as my people, your family, the church, provide for your every need. The last response that highlights the grace and glory of God even in the face of suffering is to let fire refine you by focusing your faith on what alone matters. Look, suffering hurts. The fire burns. It singes you at a minimum. But can it do more than that? Can it do more than just leave scars? In suffering, if your choice is to soothe your sorrows, to make up for your suffering by pursuing escapes and pleasures, whatever they may be, the fire just burns and it doesn't have an opportunity to refine you. In suffering, if you resent God for allowing it to continue, if you distance yourself from Him, instead of seeing that the suffering is allowed to strip away everything that is of self-glory, of self-reliance, the fire will just burn you. It will not refine you. But here's what we saw in the grace story. Rochelle said, God knew they needed to renew their commitment to Him, and her testimony is, we are so much more forgiving of each other. We're so much more willing to extend grace to each other. We, 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 we've carved, we, we've ca- carved out a lot of the clutter in life, and we're praying together and crying out to Jesus together. David saw a gap in his life, and since that accident, he's endeavored to um, immerse himself more and more so in the Word of God, from which alone he can find strength. Fire singed the Thompsons. But the gospel is healing those pains. And I don't just mean broken uh, bones being mended. Because when you see the refining work of God, drawing children, His children to Himself by exposing sin, by reminding and assuring us of His promises, the gospel is the healing power that we all need. It's at work. Here's the last word using the Apostle uh, Apostle Peter's thought flow in chapter 5. Humble yourself before a mighty God. Trust Him with your fears and worries, verses 6 and 7. In the midst of that, watch out, the devil is coming, but resist Him, verses 8 through 9. Stand firm in the faith and the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will Himself restore you and make You strong, firm, and steadfast. To Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, You are good still in the midst of suffering. You know suffering. Jesus, You endured the worst. And in our following after You, Lord, rebuke us when we're surprised, when we're indignant, And give us strength through your Spirit to allow the fire to refine us, though it hurts, that your glorious grace might be magnified in and through our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.